Tony Shea's short time as a force in downtown Las Vegas is often described with words like transformative and visionary, but to my thinking, a more critical eye, even of the lauded projects, has been missing. Las Vegan Nicholas Russell, however, in a recent article for the Baffler magazine, is one of the first to take a real swing at debunking the myths. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we take a useful look beyond the murals and quotes dedicated to the deceased former CEO of Zappos and the downtown project, Tony Shea. It's Wednesday, August 3rd, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. I can't go on enough about how much I enjoyed this of of many of your pieces. I mean, you're a Las Vegas-based writer, but boy, you hit this one out of the park. The piece that you just published for the Baffler magazine, which is called Everything's Great When You're Downtown, a nice little tip of the hat to Petulia Clark. So today I want to talk to you about this article. It touches on, in, in many ways, the legacy of Tony Shea. As we're about to celebrate the 10th anniversary of the introduction of the downtown project into the Las Vegas uh, ecosystem. (laughs) So let me ask you this. What is or was or both the downtown project? Well, first we can talk about what Tony Shea sold it as, which is this hub for entrepreneurial innovation and startups. It was going to be this sort of blank slate for a bunch of businesses to come and revitalize the section of the city that, depending on which narrative you bought into, was either an underutilized corner of the city that could benefit from an influx of capital or this extremely dangerous part of town that people didn't want to go to and that like once you put it and made it friendly for affluent young people like mm. would become this great place to hang out. Yes, the affluent young people which will always be our salvation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you know, the there was this to me always this weird tension between downtown project and Fremont. You know, Tony Shea was trying to distance himself from the stereotypically glitzy sort of vapid view of Las Vegas and to make the downtown project this very serious, but at the same time, playful site for this sort of philosophy he had of working and living, playing in the same space. As I say in the piece, I I believe it to be more of like a glorified shopping mall than any of the sort of high concept ideas that Tony Shea had for it. Yeah, one of many um, stinging assessments <laughs> of the city that I think you and I both sort of love hate in a lot of ways. So the downtown project itself, it's both a company and a concept. And Tony Shea is sort of the the maestro behind it. He had become prior to that the CEO of Zappos. Zappos was moving its facilities from Henderson to downtown Las Vegas. So this was all kind of happening at the same time. Why do you think, Nicholas, that it, it's so hard to get one consistent take on what downtown or how bad off downtown was um, prior to 2012 when the downtown project began? 
It's a good question. There are a lot of people who are lower income people who live there or who are living in the weeklies that are down there, or there's a lot of houseless people who are there. It's one of those things where I'm not claiming to have any authority over people's individual experiences, but I think a lot of the time people confuse their own sense of being uncomfortable in a space that seems uninviting with danger. And some of the people I've talked to who who have lived down there for many years before Downtown Project came are under the impression that it is a very normal place to live like basically anywhere else. Yeah. So like I've lived I've lived in the downtown area consistently now for the last 22 years. I grew up nearby. But the thing that I've always noted is that there there've been talk about revitalization and economic development of the downtown area since the very f- beginning of the first Oscar Goodman administration, right? They did an overlay many bars uh, and and that vibrancy to get that affluent young person uh, demo down to the to downtown was already well underway. Beauty Bar and the Griffin and eateries, downtown cocktail room, emergency arts, the renovation of the Atomic, Publicus, all these things were happening downtown before Tony Shea became associated with it. Why do you think that the downtown project eclipsed and all those people are kind of forgotten now to the dustbin of ebb and flow and evolution? That was a really um, long question. <laughs> no, it, it, but it's, it's important context because, like, as you and I know, as people who are from here, like, the sort of Vegas rebranding, it's constant, right? It's always going on. There's always some new version of it in a different part of town. It never stops. And I think part of the reason why Tony Shea got as much attention as he did is because of this sort of, like, overt and in my opinion, like exaggerated belief in the sense of like, it takes an outsider, right? Like it takes an outsider to see the things that, to see the potential in a place that the people who have been living there and working there just don't see. Hmm. For Tony Shea, it was, it was business wrapped in a, in a far shinier sort of package where instead of just brick and mortar places, it's like, oh, it's, it's startups, it's innovation, whatever that is. It's it's this sort of ephemeral idea of of what is new and what is like pointing to the future, which of course, for the stereotypical mythology of Vegas, like the city is never associated with the future. It's always associated with like navel gazing, looking at the past, like fetishizing, you know, Elvis and Sinatra and all this other stuff that, you know. But Vegas. also living in the moment of capitalism. Exactly, exactly, of course. I mean, we hear Tony Shea, the visionary, the sad visionary, the tragic visionary in a lot of ways, and we'll get to his demise, but what was Tony Shea's vision? It's interesting, right? Like, if you go downtown now, the, there are posters with quotes by Tony Shea. There's a big mural um, on Las Vegas Boulevard. It's so interesting because in the aftermath of his passing... He is so much more visible than he ever was when he was alive. And I think, you know, his vision has so much to do with this culture of happiness, this quote unquote weird idiosyncratic workplace that prioritizes and and wants to attract off kilter creative people who think differently that was part of his vision for downtown. 
I mean, but, but at if, the you, same... if you had to sum it up in a sentence or two, what, what was the vision? Can you maybe sum it up in a sentence or two? I really couldn't. This is part of the reason why I wanted to write this piece is because I don't know what that vision is beyond making, beyond claiming that he was doing something new and interesting and groundbreaking when in reality it's what? It's like another gentrified area of a city that, you know, has like nice places to shop and places to eat but it doesn't represent any sort of like groundswell movement of a different way of thinking about business or a different way of imagining the capital D downtown of a, of a place. I think the reason why people like Tony Shea gave me pause and are so, <laughs> I don't know, infuriating in a lot of ways is because their shiny idea of what the future looks like involves starting over. Yeah, It does not involve including and trying to help the things and people that are already there. Let's go through in kind of a rapid fire way some of the myths that kind of circulate around it. So I think one already is, you know, was was there a specific vision? Uh, your rapid fire answer to that would be... No. No. <laughs> All right. Uh, Tony Shea founded Zappos. Uh, no. I mean, the, the, yes and no. He became a the most prominent shareholder... And then the company sort of became his in that way. Okay. Like he didn't start Zappos. Tony Shea uh, ran DTP or Downtown Project. No, absolutely not. I did a few interviews with some people who were involved in the Downtown Project, none of whom wanted to, to be named. But everyone, no matter what, was very quick to be like, this focus on Tony is wrong. Not because he wasn't important, but because there are so many other lower level administrators who were responsible for the actual implementation of these ideas that were in more ways responsible for the material sort of failures of the downtown project. Okay. Here's my favorite myth that you you touch on. Container Park, which is an outdoor shopping mall that was the one of the jewels of the downtown project, uh, is completely made of repurposed shipping containers. So it's both good for the environment and it's like innovation. That's a myth you bust. So what's your response to that? The containers make up probably half of the structures that are there. You no. also point out in the article that they, that, that for reasons that are beyond the article, that they went and prefabbed spaces to look like shipping containers, yeah. right? And yes. they used a company to do that and spent money yes. to make new product to put in there, right? So, I mean, how did those myths escape analysis? I I mean, I think so much of it has to do with the fact that when these places are being built, a lot of the time, the public doesn't really know what the story is. Like, what the story that the company making it is putting out there about how this place is being made and why. I can tell you like when Container Park went up, I was like anyone else, I was like, this place is weird and cool. Right, and right. I don't think that's any fault of like <laughs> the general public. I think that it's another area where I think Tony Shea's brilliance 
is revealed to be it's media savvy. And those are the things, those small things are what these myths are based on. You know, this is how they keep perpetuating is, oh, yeah, the container park. It's in the name. And you can see it. There's containers there. Yeah, that's what it is. Let me let me just ask you straight up. Why do you think it's so difficult to criticize people like Tony Shea or projects when they're happening? And how does the mythology continue? I think it's because you these people get the benefit of the doubt very easily when it's someone like Tony Shea, who was this very quiet, sort of awkward, very nice guy. With who, a lot of money. With a lot of money and a lot of ideas. And in the sort of background portfolio, a few very well-performing companies that would seem to prove that he is the guy who has ideas that can be actionable. And I think, you know, as I point out in the article, it's, it's a marriage of place and person and time. Because I don't know that Tony Shea could have done this in just any part of the country. I think the fact that it was in Vegas is very telling because it just reifies this sense of the way that the city continues to try and make new myths about itself. Wow. Even as these things are happening and even as people are criticizing them as they're happening, it's all posterity sort of like, okay, but you know, this hiccup say, which I didn't really get to in the article, but say that the number of startup founders who came here who committed suicide when their businesses weren't doing well. Or just businesses where tens of millions of dollars disappeared. Exactly. Well, you know, I, I'm wondering, you know, he didn't do it alone. He seemed to have a partner in the city of Las Vegas itself, right? right? For reasons right. that I think you just stated. Did Tony Shea have the city hoodwinked? I don't think so. I think the city was a very willing participant in this revamping of this area and in in being the site of again to use another buzzword innovation i think that there you'll see a lot of people if you go through a lot of the articles that were written at this time this very proud chest puffing sort of stance that you know what tony shea is part of a broader movement within the city where we are we are Contemporary, we are focused on new technologies and new ways of doing business and and taking apart, deconstructing these old, tired narratives about the way that Vegas is a backward city and all this other stuff. I mean, this, this is not the first time nor the last time the city has taken the stance. I think they're more than happy to back someone like Tony Shea if at least at first, they're seeing results. But it is kind of this enduring part of the mythology, right, Nicholas? Where, you know, even though, and I think in the beginning is like, you know, if you if you go with this plan, your community is going to be better and this is going to help the community. And then when parts of the community that are excluded or even injured by some of these actions kind of speak up, then he says, well, it, it's not my responsibility. I'm not the city elder. I'm not the, I'm not, part of fixing your community. I'm not here to solve uh, the the challenges of homelessness. I'm just to do good and good will follow. The question is, I mean, but was there an implication? You talk about the town terrace and w- what was that about? So 
One of the big issues that Tony Shea ran into when he was starting the downtown project and sort of continued on was this question of housing for a lot of these transplants that he was bringing in to start these new businesses, so many of which were not local people. And Town Terrace was an apartment building that Tony Shea thought was vacant, and so he bought it. And in the sort of perfect illustration of like what exactly <laughs> these people do or do not pay attention to, there were still people living there. Tony Shea effectively evicted them without knowing that they were there. And it became a mild scandal. It lasted for like a not very long period of time. But he went on the record and was and apologized and was basically saying, like, if I had known that there were people there, I would never have done this, of course. Right. And one has to ask the question of, like, what do you mean if you had known? That seems like a pretty obvious thing to notice about a place before you buy it. So Yeah, but he didn't get called on it specifically. No, yeah. of course not. Yeah, and I think an ultimate irony of sort of transforming Town Terrace is that he moved a lot of, of the... Um, entrepreneurs and people related to some of the startups down there and, and uh, sadly one one person who was living there killed himself by jumping off the top of town terrace just just yeah. horrific i, I want to ask you what good things came out of the downtown project it will seem like i have personal bias because i work here um i think the writer's block which again an independent bookstore in downtown is one of the complicated sort of examples of the good that came out of the downtown project. Because if not for the downtown project's funding, the writer's block wouldn't be there. At the same time, everything good about the writer's block, everything that makes that store what it is, has nothing to do with the downtown project. It has everything to do with the owners. So what do you think the actual enduring legacy of Tony Shea's time and impact on downtown Las Vegas should be framed as? Uh, I mean, to put it indelicately, I think Tony Shea was full of it. I think he is someone who should be remembered as a cautionary tale. Not in the way that the authors of that Happy at Any Cost book put it, as a personal cautionary tale about drugs and mental illness and all this stuff. But a cautionary tale about the way that someone who is saying a lot of really nice things and has a lot of money, we should be careful about accepting and taking them at their word. Because at the end of the day, you go downtown, it's different. It's definitely, it definitely looks different than the way it was before he got there. But materially, nothing is different. The same problems are still there. That's without even talking about the dozens of motels that remain shuttered seven years later. You know, exactly not part of the discussion. Nicholas Russell, you did a stellar job here, man. Please come back on CityCast Las Vegas with the next thing you wrote, because I want to talk <laughs> about that, too, because I already am anticipating that it's going to be fantastic. I really appreciate it. Come back anytime. Before you go, here's a little news. Las Vegas city officials are exploring a proposal to replace the Cashman Center Stadium complex with a vast medical campus, one that would likely include a children's hospital. 
It's the latest in a long string of ideas for redeveloping the aging complex. At a meeting tomorrow, the National Park Service will begin gathering public input on how best to manage the Thule Springs Fossil Beds National Monument. With its thousands of fossils, it's a local treasure, and you could have a voice in its future. The meeting is at 6 p.m. at the Clark County Shooting Complex. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Are you enjoying the show? Share this episode with a friend. Then go rate the show, leave us a review, we read them, and subscribe to our morning newsletter, which is awesome. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk soon. Downtown.